Welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and as usual, I am joined by... New Year, New Beth. New Year, same Sam. <laughs> and I'm also experiencing a new year. And my name's Caleb. Hi, Caleb. <laughs> Hooray. You said that like it was a surprise that you are also following the linear flow of time. You know, sometimes it really just feels like time is a weird soup, so that's how <laughs> that, it goes. You know what? So true, Misty. <laughs> time, like the parade, moves only forward unless the police. What? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah, how's everyone doing? <laughs> Mostly baffled now. Apparently the cops are here, so I'm worried about that. But aside from that, I'm, I'm doing all right. Oh, I'm doing fine. Just, you know, a little disappointed in our boy, but, you know, it happens. Aww. Poor Ellen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, part three, King, where Ellen is king for none of this part. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's true. In fact, up until the last two pages, there is no king at yeah. all. Also true. <laughs> yeah, it is a... Uh fine misty night here in current location and uh <laughs> we can go ahead and and finish off this part we had chapters 36 37 and 38 today uh to wrap up the part and i think we should just go ahead and get into it just jump I on concur. in it's misty in my location too i've been getting dense fog advisories all day and i was oh, like this shit, doesn't is. affect me but thank you <laughs> i didn't look out the window until now but yeah it totally is that's cool yeah be careful sam <laughs> i don't know <laughs> my blinds are closed i don't know fair all right so yeah uh rejoining where we left off in uh, chapter 36 uh our epigraph uh, this is not a good sign. Quan declares, Alendi was never the hero of ages. At best, I have amplified his virtues, creating a hero where there was none. At worst, I fear that all we believe may have been corrupted. You feel like maybe he could have led with this. Yeah. We have gotten Just... a lot of vital information before then, actually. So, you know, that's it's what it's going to be. Yeah, we have like Alendi good... being tall? Yeah, it's really, it's really... Okay, here's... Okay, so I got really confused last time because I was like, I could have sworn we found this and then I checked back and it wasn't that. I figured it out. There is a reason a lot of these epigraphs feel familiar and it's because we have read some of them already because when we get to Sezed reading his inscription, he reads ahead of where we are mm -hmm. in the epigraphs. So that's why a lot of these feel repetitive is because we have read them when Sezed reads them. And also... This could be just an editor's thing, although it would be also interesting if it's like a Sezed translated the text differently. And because that is cool, I'm just going to say that's what I think it is. That's how I'm going to interpret it. Um, but the reason I was like, I think it says he's not actually that tall. And then I looked back and I was like, wait, no, it does say he's tall. In the epigraph, it just says his stature was what was what made him stand out. Um, he towered above people around him. But when we look at Sezed's inscription, it specifically says he was a man of short stature, but it seemed like he towered over everyone around him, hmm. which is a weird, not quite matchup. And I don't know how to parse that. But again, <laughs> there's a potential reason of Sezed is translating some of this, maybe. And I'm just going to say it's that because that's cool. 
But either way, it lets us keep the bit alive, which is the most important part. Yes. Fantastic. So going into the chapter proper, uh, and speaking of Sazed, I think it's been a little bit since we've seen his POV. Uh, He is doing his part to try to keep the city and the the people of the city in as best shape as they can, uh, because it is uh it's not a great place having been under siege for probably a couple of months at this point i don't know the exact timeline uh but yeah there are uh a number of uh of people who are now gathered in one of the uh the crew's old warehouses in fact and says it is trying to give them some hope and and keep care of them yeah it was a nice throwback to see the warehouses mentioned again mm-hmm. um <laughs> You know, uh, last episode we kind of left on a huff, but I, I did want to mention, I think it's weird that they're s- just sticking them in a warehouse. <laughs> like, we talk endlessly about the the empty house houses. Right. You know? Stick them in there instead of putting them in a warehouse and knocking out part of the roof. Yeah, we 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 know for a fact that um, Ellen is, is obviously still occupying House Venture, uh, and set just moved into i believe keep hasting but there's there's six others uh yeah as of a couple as of like a week ago there was at least one that was completely empty because set just moved in so presumably there's at least a couple others that are unoccupied is it isn't it hard to keep those warm did i make that up i feel like that's been discussed is it harder to keep warehouses warm i don't know that's not me like actively challenging that i'm just curious if you put enough bodies in them no <laughs> so Sazed has been doing his work here uh there is a a note that is a, a bit sad in that he has not been uh feeling as much like he should be preaching religions to these people like he used to with with cal and with the crew because um, it, it just feels a little bit different now it's very sad because that's such an integral part of Sazed is is this sort of universal evangelism, as it will. Right. And it's it sucks to see that philosophy just sort of fall flat in the face of reality. Though I guess with Ellen's idealism, that's kind of a running theme of this book, huh? It is really sad, but it's also very interesting because it's only been a few chapters since we got Orasur's take on religion, which is that doesn't really matter how literal it is the point is that it's meant to bring hope to a bunch of people who don't have any and so again not not saying you know orisur is right and says it should just suck it up and proselytize anyways um Mm -hmm. i think this adds a new interesting layer to the development but it is interesting getting that viewpoint so recently and then now we have pretty much the exact opposite of a guy who almost always is talking about religions and trying to inspire people that way going that's really not going to cut it here Mm mm-hmm Shortly after that, he is joined by Tindwell, uh, who we've seen before that uh, the two of them have somewhat butted heads on what the role of the Keepers should be at this point in society. Uh, And there still is, um, I mean, she seems somewhat surprised that Sazed is here caring for these people. Where else would he be? I don't know. I mean, he, he's shown that 
the the people of the the former final empire are important to him you know that by by joining the rebellion and sticking with it the whole time yeah you know but it is yeah it, this chapter and is it chapter 37 where Tinwell and Seiza go a little bit more in depth with this uh, yeah it's interesting to see the uh, the different perspectives going on here Brandon is also very good at these just one sentence paragraphs that really pack a gut punch like I'm remembering all of the four more deaths from Final Empire mm. there's just a, a quick line where they're sort of describing the warehouse you know trails of mist could be seen creeping through the room uh like through these holes in the ceiling the refugees didn't often look up just its own line it's like oh these poor people but at the uh, the end of this segment here we get uh, perhaps a a turn for the better in Sazed and tindwell understanding each other which sam like you said we will see more of next chapter uh, but Sazed says something about how he is he's all out of stored wakefulness from when he came back to Luthadel. Uh, and, and she says, okay, show me what it was that was so important. Like there, there's something that brought you here that you insist is, is vital to the world. Uh, so show me what it is and I, I want to know. And we will return to them next chapter. But for now, we get to watch the camera pan over to someone else who's <laughs> technically present in the same scene. And we get that, that perspective instead. Yeah, uh, Breeze has been here as well. Uh, it's also been a while since we've had a, a Breeze POV. I don't I don't remember when we've have, gotten a Breeze POV. Have we had a Breeze POV? I don't that's, know. That's a good question. I can I can check that now. I, I just said that. We might have had one last book, like at the end. <laughs> when it starts getting really crazy with all the bouncing around. I'm going to cut this length of time while I determine whether or not we've had. Uh, this is our first one in Well of Ascension. The Lost Metal made all of those PO crazy POV switches at the end, full chapter breaks, and it kind of really threw me. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, this is this is our this is our first breeze POV. All right then. I love that Justin was ah. like, I have to cut out all of this dead air, and it took him like 12 seconds. <laughs> it was an insanely fast checkup. The uh, Coppermind has uh, stats pages for every book uh, that break down every chapter by POV and word count, which is what I was using to assemble the episode breakdowns. Also, Beth, what did you think of these seven epilogues in Lost Metal? <laughs> I was very pleased with them. I wanted a, I wanted a good little where are they now-ish situation. Mm -hmm. Anyway, back in this book that we're all reading. Yeah. <laughs> it sure was cool that they found those medals. That were lost. Yeah, they were really lost, but I'm glad they got found. <laughs> Thank goodness. And we'll talk more about that in two and a half years. Yep, 2026 or whatever. So yeah, Breeze was also uh, part of the group that was in the warehouse. And he has apparently just been uh doing his thing he has been uh using his his soothing abilities to just help in his own way basically everyone he sees 
Uh, he was trying to uh, help Sazed feel a little less fatigued. Yeah, he's been um, also somewhat trying to, in his mind, help out with uh, what Tindwell has been doing. Uh, and then you get some some internal justification in his thoughts of why it's totally okay to just be doing this to everyone at all times. <laughs> I do. I, I Brandon has convinced me. I'm not saying he did a bad job of it, but I do think it's funny that pretty much every time we get Breeze's perspective, there's like at least a full page of Brandon going, it's not creepy. It's not weird. It's not like mind control. It's just like, <laughs> it's a natural extension of his charisma. Basically it comes naturally. It doesn't make you do anything you would never do ever. It just kind of pushes you, gives a little nudge. Like, it's not that weird. It's not that weird. It's okay. It's okay. that The good guy's doing this. I think it's interesting that he does this uh, on Tindwell, who previously very bluntly told Breeze to stop soothing her. If I recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she, I, I guess it's best used when people are too distracted to realize that it's happening. <laughs> I also, I suppose this is the theory getting proven incorrect, but I believe at one point, at least one character has theorized that terrorist men are immune to emotional allomancy. And I guess this is Breeze basically showing that, no, nah, that can be done. They're, they're just pretty, they can just be kind of tough. But I feel like <laughs> at least one character has thought that that might be the case. I think at this point, the only thing that we know for a fact can can prevent emotional elemancy is copper. But it's definitely, uh, we. I mean, there's only the two Terrace characters that we know, but we definitely see much less uh, of how they're affected. But apparently, Breeze has, has managed to, at least in his mind, have some good effect there. It kind of circles back to my Alamancia's gun theory, where it falls mm-hmm. apart a little bit. <laughs> um, y- you know, you can't covertly influence people at gunpoint to like each other. They have to know you're pointing a gun at them. So maybe, maybe not as effective here. Is this, but is this flashing your holster, but in a way of like, I'll back you up if you need it. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think that. Uh, either were aware they were being soothed or if they were it was not front of mind so it's interesting I think uh, this is definitely not the first time we've seen soothing done by a third party Um, Breeze did it during Ellen's speech Mm -hmm. for some reason parenthetically (laughs) Uh, uh, but I do still think it's kind of similar to guns when it's one to one yeah no I can see that when it's from afar like this it's more like pheromones though kind of I do. It, it, this did give me the mental image of Matt Barry just looking at Sazed and Tinwell and pulling out a gun and going, gonna spend some quality time together. <laughs> I don't think I've ever checked this drawer. <laughs> I was going to say this metaphor now reminds me of the, um, uh, the Straff versus Ellen conversation. And Ellen just starts naming off different guns, and Vin just keeps pulling them out of her pockets, and they're. I getting, mean, yeah, like, that works. It's it's more and more ridiculous that she's fitting all of these in her mist cloak, but in she has dress. all of them available. Oh yeah, it wasn't even the mist cloak; it was the dress that wasn't even. <laughs> the dressmaker's very good at this job. <laughs> it's got room for daggers. <laughs> so as uh, Sazed and Tindwell leave the scene. Uh, we have some of the the rest of the crew joining. Uh, Elland and Ham are here. Uh, Breeze notes here 
that uh, some of the people are looking up to Elend as the king, even as he is most distinctly not. But before we mention that, Breeze says he hates books. Me too. Breeze does have... Uh, he, he he apparently is just like reading this book as cover. Like he's sitting there pretending to read. I do like this scene with Elend. It feels very Henry V to me of the king coming amongst the, the commoners and, and trying to get a feel for how they're feeling. Um, I don't know. I just think that's a really cool trope. And in Henry V, he's in disguise, so it's not quite the same. But um, actually, you know, having the big fancy leader be on the ground actually trying to help out um, directly, I think is always a, a cool thing to see. I think it's interesting to see him, like, uh, wearing white not as like a show of look how important I am, but as a show of like I am in charge and I'm in control here. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, you know, it, it can come off as like boastful. Like, hey, refugees, I know you have rags. <clears throat> I'm in a white suit. But Brendan makes it kind of clear that, you know, this is establishing authority and people look at with awe instead of like disgust. Right. This is <laughs> This is someone who you can go to because they can do something about this. It's also very interesting to put this close enough to all of Ellen's discussions of, if I have lost the mandate of the people, I shan't be king. So it is nice to see all of these people, like, yes, they are looking up to him, and and yes, there is sort of a sense of awe about them. So there is, by Ellen's own logic, there is still hope for him. Yeah. And then I also, a detail of the world building that has just not been talked about in a while is the fact that Hash is like constantly falling from the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been so much focus on the mists that the, the, the <laughs> narration has not really talked about the Ash very much at all. But the detail of um, they're specifically designing his outfit to be Ash resistant so that it still looks good even when he's out amongst the people, when he's walking around outside. Um, I don't know, it was, just a, it was just a cool thing and made me remember that, yeah, there's volcanoes all over the place. Forgot about that. <laughs> we may not know which ones are in which directions, but there sure are, sure are volcanoes. Yeah, we've got, we've got Ashmount somewhere around here and a Lendy <laughs> that may or may not be tall. <laughs> you figure it out. <laughs> so the, the check-in with uh, Ellen and Ham is... Uh, quite brief uh, though i do like uh breeze gives us some interesting insights on the other members of the crew uh, and he points out that much as ham likes his little philosophy debates he doesn't actually like to like genuinely argue with people he knows which i just think that's a really interesting distinction that breeze is very aware of yeah i love breeze psychoanalysis hour like, one, it makes complete sense given the extensive information he gives us about how you'd need to know people's emotions to be an effective emotional alimenter. But it's it's fun that, like, Ellen walks in and he immediately starts picking at his emotions and, you know, he doesn't need as much help with the confidence these days. And here's how we're doing with Ham and let's let's play matchmaker with Sazed and Tindwell. I dig it. And if you want to... Uh... To know more about how Breeze sees the people around him, then uh, we've got the scene for you next. Uh, Also featuring Sir I Actually Am in this book, uh, it's Clubs. Hey! He is present. 
200 pages since you've spoken. Glad to see you. <laughs> Every time we were joking about how clubs just didn't show up at all. Like, I really like this scene, and I was thinking of it. I just didn't remember where it was. So I was like, I hope that we get good clubs conversation soon. It is it is, it is wild to me that, you know, spoilers, we're going to get to Vin in a second and Vin checking clubs off the list. And it's like, you already thought you had narrowed it down to Dachshund. Why, why, why is this coming at this point? Why did you wait until now to cross off clubs? Because it makes her sad, okay? It's Demo. Enough. <laughs> I'm hanging it up. It's Demo. <laughs> He's not a real friend. <laughs> I don't care if he got tortured for hours on end. Well, we'll get to that as well, too. The uh, the updates on the the spy tracking. Wait, no, actually, no. If we haven't found out the demo part yet, then why is Vin still working on crossing people off the list? If she's so sure it's demo, why is she still doing this part of the plan? I, I mean, I think that she just doesn't do very well at this spy finding thing like like sam said because she doesn't want to have to do it i think she's just not very good at it i love vin to death i agree i don't think she's very good at it so into this scene uh we have this is apparently a regular occurrence uh breeze and clubs uh sharing a drink together and uh what what Breeze talks about is how uh, he, he says, in, in his words, he basically subconsciously manipulates everyone around him all the time, uh, perhaps without even realizing that he's doing it. And it gets to the point where he can't really trust people's opinions of him. Uh, and in some way, deep down, that bothers him. Uh, yet with Clubs, because Clubs is a smoker, uh, Breeze knows that what he's getting is the genuine man. Yeah, this conversation is great. I feel like it... Yeah. I feel like it hasn't been since Kelsier was chatting with folks that we've really gotten a scene of just members of the crew sitting down and chatting, and it's not about anything incredibly important. They're just kind of... I don't want to say enjoying because it's clubs, but they're in each other's company. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just really nice to have these little conversations like this. Yeah. They're just together, shooting the breeze. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. The conversation about how Breeze can just kind of be himself and not have to worry about using his powers. I, I don't need it to be between the two of them, and I don't think the dynamic would work very well. But it does make me want to see in the future a romance between a soother slash writer and a smoker. Because I really think that's a really cool concept of... I feel like I always have to be on guard doing my thing, but when I'm around you, that's not even an option, so I just kind of feel more comfortable by default. I think it's a really cool dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's interesting, um, speaking of people who Breeze can't quite know as well, um, in the annotations for this chapter, um, Brandon talks about uh, when the two of them start kind of reminiscing about Kelsier and his crew uh, and Breeze uh, asks Clubs, you know, why did he join the, the rebellion? Uh, and Clubs just says money. Uh, back in Final Empire, when Clubs was being recruited, which was a 
a difficult effort because he left and came back later after Breeze was gone. Um, Clubs talked about how uh, he, I think his exact words were something like he wanted to spit in the Lord Ruler's face before he died. And it was, it was definitely a much more personal mission for Clubs than that. And he tells Breeze it was for the money and, and Breeze doesn't push him on it. That's interesting. Like, we we see so little of clubs that I am led to assume this is his closest friendship. Mm-hmm. And he's just flat out lying about his base motivation. That's... I'm gonna think about that. I kind of read that as... I, I don't... It's true that Breeze doesn't push him on it, but I think Breeze probably doesn't really believe that. And I feel like part of this is just clubs kind of flexing that he doesn't have to do anything breeze wants or answer in the way breeze expects like he can he can just kind of lie and not not give a really personal detail about himself um and i don't know i feel like it's just part of expressing that dynamic between the two of them of i don't really need to tell you why i can give you some shallow reason and there's nothing you can do about it um which in a weird way because of this strange cool dynamic I think kind of speaks to the friendship here of, yeah, this is just club showing that he is in a weird way, comfortable just being who he is. But does that, I don't know if that makes sense, but I don't know. I just, I, I do fully believe clubs is lying here and breeze probably knows it. And they're both just okay with that. That could be it too. But they, they wrap this up with a, a toast that I really like to the survivor May he be damned for knowing us better than we knew ourselves. Damn him. And then Aurienne shows up. In in terms of characters making entrances at inopportune times, she's very good at it. Aurienne shows up, uh, tries to uh, drag Breeze out of there. Uh, he is uncomfortable with this. Uh, we, we have another character insisting on their own age, uh, Aurienne is 18 and not 10 and off they go. I still don't know how to feel about this. Yeah. Like <laughs> Bree's pointing out that she's very young comparatively doesn't make it less weird. <laughs> like yes, you're right. I know it's a different it's a different age, it's a different planet. Customs are different. But it's still weird to have him point it out and then just be like, yeah, okay, let's cuddle. I was told that Skadriel is, for all intents and purposes, Earth, but with some fantasy elements. <laughs> so I choose to also be uncomfortable with this scene. And I love it because I'm a contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> Though there's always another podcast story. <laughs> hey. Um, before I move on, there was one line from the page before of Breeze just observing even birds couldn't fly all the time about how he, he is comfortable around clubs because he doesn't have to worry about any of that. I just thought that was a really nice line. Yeah. Hmm. So as that uh, scene wraps up between those three, uh, we again have the camera pan to the other side of the room. Uh, there, there's this whole sequence here. I wonder, like... How long could you do this as a one-shot? There's probably a bunch of walking time that you'd have to cut, so it wouldn't quite work. But you do have a pretty uninterrupted kind of series of, of character overlaps, which is, is kind of cool. It's the chapter of Baton Passes. Exactly. 
So yeah, this is Vin and Orser. Uh, like we said, doing a bit of a a um, uh, an out of order checklist on the the spy problem, where uh, at this point, Vin manages to confirm that it is not clubs because he's uh, using his copper. Uh, Vin in a particularly unique position to spot this, because even with the information that Orser um, let slip, I guess that, um, well, no, that was, that was something that was more well-known that Chandra can't be, uh, can't be using Allomancy. Uh, you can't really tell if someone is a smoker normally, because by definition, their powers prevent you from sensing anything, but Vin can, and that was weird and it remains weird. <laughs> cool though. It's it useful. Yeah. Uh, we also get uh, an answer for Vin and an answer for us as well. Uh, Ariane is a rioter, which may explain some of the uh, the relationship with her and Breeze. I know I was just talking shit. I do love that little detail. <laughs> I love a a character dynamic where like. They are literal opposites, literal magic opposites of push and a pull. I dig that. And I also find it very funny that Breeze, who is soothing everyone all the time, is apparently completely unaware that Aurian has been rioting him. Mm-hmm. I find that very funny. I don't know. That's actually part of the reason I don't like it, is I don't quite buy Breeze not noticing this. I think that's... That's... that's dumb that Breeze would <laughs> notice it um yeah yeah those are my feelings on that I'm just picturing Elrianne holding a Maltov cocktail wait what rioter oh, she's, she's a, a rioter, rioter. yeah of course but she soothers, be... soothers have guns and rioters have Molotovs. <laughs> that's right <laughs> and she's wearing a very frilly dress while doing so yeah Good for her. You go, Alrian. Go for it. Yeah, this a real girl boss move. <laughs> God forbid a woman do anything. God forbid. Speaking of girl bosses, we get a shout out to my girl, Lady Cliss. She gets mentioned once in the entire book. God <laughs> yeah. bless. Yeah, this is, in fact, the only time. In fact, in the annotations, Brandon has a reminder of who she is in case you forgot. I did not forget, Brandon, I know! <laughs> How could we forget? The Lady Cliss special. Yeah. Got a name for it and everything. We also get a nice comedic beat in the transfer between this scene and the next scene. Yeah, we do, actually. <laughs> it's, it's time to put Demo in prison. What do you mean you lost him? <laughs> Title card, Vin does not put Demo in prison. Right. Demo, title card, Demo escapes. <laughs> right. Yeah, apparently uh, with her suspicions as of the last part, uh, Vin had assigned someone to to watch Demo and keep tabs on him. Uh, but Demo is a guard who has guard patrols uh, and this guy, I think fairly reasonably, said it'd be a little suspicious if I followed him on his rounds. Yeah. So she's going to go on a uh, a bit of a chase to try to track him down. Get some very 
dramatic uh, allomancy. And then a uh, a bit of a twist, because Demo is in fact sneaking off from where he'd be expected on his rounds. Uh, and he is going to a gathering of the Church of the Survivor. He's a priest. Or somewhat. He's He's a knowledgeable kind of revered person i don't know if they have anything as formal as you know clergy of some sort yet but he does seem seem to have um people looking to him he's kind of an apostle right like he was hanging out with their savior figure and now he's going around telling stories now that he's he's kicked it that's true. I, I saw it as like, it's when the pastor asks like a member of the congregation, like, hey, do you want to come up and just talk for a few minutes about your whole experience? Um, and Oh, I yeah. grew up Catholic. We didn't do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, it's not a very good story. I won't tell it. Um, <laughs> I do appreciate that. Uh, I feel like Final Empire Vin would have just killed Demo by this point. And here we have Vin... <laughs> going a little L.A. Noir and being like, I know it's this guy. Obviously it's this guy, but I should get some evidence before we bring him in. Like, I, I appreciate that she uh, is uh, approaching this a bit more tactfully than I think she would have before she uh, learned more about the system. Yeah, she just does a quick Assassin's Creed side mission to follow mm-hmm. him to find the evidence TM. Mm-hmm. What was that? Must have been my imagination. <laughs> But yeah, we see some of the things that Demo is saying to the, these people here. Uh, and it's an unusual experience, I think, for us and for Vin, uh, hearing the kind of mythology that's forming. Uh, because most of this are, you know, m- most of this is is real things. Um, but there's there's already some kind of reverence being directed towards Vin, uh, which we saw earlier during the, the shopping trip. Uh, but this is this is kind of the... Um, we see more of like what's actually building here. Uh, and then also uh, Demo is trying to, to convince them uh, to support Elland as well. It's interesting. I wrote in my notes that... Um... The, the whole Church of the Survivors teachings, like what they've evolved to be, are basically what motivated the crew yeah. in the first place. Um, including some like dogma that was not, you know, uh, Orser kind of talks about what he talked about. And his speech, to sum up, was, I'm back, let's kick ass. <laughs> there was no, like, flowers will come back and ash will stop falling from the sky. It was just, hey guys, let's go fuck shit up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's it's interesting. It's it reminded me of like uh, high school. How we've evolved. We're we're a step higher. Um, philosophy class when uh, we went over like religions and everybody had an assignment to like read about one religion in particular. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I recall, a bunch of people were like, "I kind of already believe that." <laughs> like, all right, that makes sense to me. <laughs> when you're looking at kind of some of the the like fundamental tenets that are just like things that that people want to think about and things that help people do good in the world that kind of stuff yeah like like for instance uh satanism 
a lot of people who are atheists are, are, would believe in the satanic kind of mm-hmm. what is it the the seven <laughs> points or whatever um but it's uh it's funny because people look at like religion they think oh this is bad this is whatever not to get too controversial but um <laughs> it's you know uh, uh steering it swiftly back to the book it's interesting because uh like i said the characters already kind of believe this you know kelsier espoused the same stuff so it's interesting mm-hmm I do find it slightly funny that Demo turns it into civic responsibility of tell your assemblyman to vote. Right. <laughs> Which I don't think Kelsier was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Report that Kelsier's to the IRS. looking down from heaven and he's like, why the hell are the assemblymen even here? I did not. I did not. <laughs> right. They were all supposed to be part. dead. Yeah. Also, hang on. Can we get some separation of church and state in here? No. The church of the survivor says No. Yeah, fair. We're probably a, a good ways off from that. So yeah, this gives Vin something to think about all over again. Uh, and she thinks that she might have been wrong again. A not uncommon Vin L here. Vin thought <laughs> L. Her instincts, uh, I'm just like, every time I see her talk about her instincts now, my... It, my eyebrow just shoots up like ah. <laughs> yeah but she ends up uh confronting is a bit of a strong word but actually talking to demo this night and um what it seems like the reason that he was keeping it more of a secret uh is because it makes vin uncomfortable which it does mm-hmm. and yeah demo thinks that the uh the rest of the crew might see this as a little, a little silly having known the man himself. Uh, But he thinks that what it, what it gives to the people uh, is worth it and is going to keep doing it. And he knew Kelsier was pushing. Ah, but in the, in the fight against Bilg, he knew that, yeah, Kelsier was pushing his blade. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that detail of, Demo still is devoted to this entire kind of faith system, even though he knows it wasn't just magic. Like, he he does know what was literally happening. Right. It was perhaps a while later that he actually, like, knew the mechanics of it. But that that doesn't change what he feels the, the meaning of that all was. Yeah. So Kelsier changed his mind on that day, and he changed Kelsier's mind because, if you remember... He uh, kept himself from mm-hmm. killing Bilg. Yeah. Yeah. Which Kelsier was all gung-ho to do. So. I think it was... Wasn't it Hammer Doxin that actually told him to chill? Or was it when Demo started talking that he backed down? I forget. I think it was just Demo resisting. Yeah, Ham was trying to get Kel to calm down. Uh, but Demo resisting the actual physical action is what actually got Kel to to take a moment. All right. Yeah, I love this whole conversation. When Vin is initially questioning him and asking why he wants it to remain a secret, he's talking about how 
He doesn't want the crew to think he's pandering. There's a quick blurb about Lord Breeze says the only reason to encourage the church is to make people more pliant, which is such a soother's way of looking at it. And then a little bit later, just just the juxtaposition of, of Demo's beliefs and the optimism it provides and me liking that. And then he talks about, you know, Kelsier came back to the caves and I knew he would. Like, I had faith. And Vin just thinking, I made him do that. So so seeing, like, the good that this is causing against the, like, slight warping of history that is already happening, it is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, the, yeah, the realization that, like, yeah, it wasn't, it, some of these things weren't even really Kelsier. It was Vin. So the fact that they're putting Vin on a pedestal, too, is, like... Oh, God, they're kind of right in a weird way. <laughs> but yeah, at the end of this chapter, Vin has once again uh, gotten second thoughts on someone who she thought, in this case, was quite sure was the the Condra spy, uh, but isn't going to do anything about it right now uh, and is going to go back to the palace and check on Ellen and maybe try again another time. But we will have to see... Uh, probably much later. Going into chapter 37, uh, we get an epigraph that I know everyone here just loves. Oh, it's great. Quan is prone to ramble. Prone to ramble. I come to the focus of my argument. My argument is... I'm sorry, but I'm forced to ramble. That's just how it works. That is the argument. That's the only reason I'm writing any of this. Is I just wanted to explain to you that I just really love rambling. Oh, shit, I'm out of room. <laughs> Damn it. Going into the chapter proper, uh, we get the follow-up of uh, what we saw much earlier in chapter 36 uh, with Sazed and Tindwell beginning a, uh, a bout of scholarship here uh, to look at what Sazed has been discovering about the the state of the world and the deepness and all that. They pulled an all-nighter. Which apparently is a lot easier to do when you can just magically be awake. I'm a little jealous. I'm extremely jealous. I love that we get to see Sazed doing a scholarship again. There were so many times we cut back to him in Final Empire translating the logbook. This feels, it feels like balance has been restored. And he mm-hmm. has a buddy this time. Yeah. There's someone Steady who buddy. actually cares instead of going, what's the point of all this, Sazed? Please get to the point. He's like, I'm trying, <laughs> but it's, this is part of the process. There's a, a very quick line in here that Brandon expands on in the, the annotations, which I think would be just really interesting to see. Um, it's It says, what is it? Um Sazed had been the one to present her with the collected knowledge that had been discovered, uh, where he was the one who gave her the information as a keeper. Oh. Uh, you can't, um, you can't like transfer a copper mind to someone else. You can just record your own memories in one. So the process of giving knowledge to a new keeper is hundreds and hundreds of hours of recitation and memorization just between the two people. And that would be in reference to right after she was done with her, like, all the childbearing stuff. Mm -hmm. So, like, 
first thing after that is here's all the shit you missed we're gonna spend hundreds of hours together like oof yeah doesn't surprise me that these two have some sort of bond or relationship that mm-hmm. is both tender and also very um uh, has a lot of friction at times yeah but yeah we see um this is two keepers with their um vast stores of knowledge uh, being able to really dive into a, a problem here and it is it's good to see the two of them actually working on this like you said uh, and I, I like the the, uh, the I guess there's a different kind of mode of operation uh, where Tindwell is is kind of acting as if she was helping uh, someone else study where she has um, pulled a, a passage from a book into her mind and then written it out so that she can show it to someone else and explain the context behind it. Uh, and she just mentions who it is and starts her explanation and says, it's like, I know, I know who it is. I'm aware. But it's interesting because Tindwell is at least as interested in this as says it is and possibly more so, which is great. You know, like we mentioned, the dynamic of the of the two kind of keepers comparing notes here, but you know, also just how into it she is when mm-hmm. this whole time she's been totally like aloof and disinterested with Sazed, pretty much. Yeah, it's real cute. I have no deep thoughts at the moment. I'm just sitting here with my head in my hands. <laughs> it gets cuter too. Yeah, but before we get to more good feelings, we're gonna talk about the uh, potential threat to the world because they are now both convinced uh, that the deepness is in some way the mist. This was a Mm. weird moment. I don't know if I've ever experienced a piece of media where I had a theory and then the character brings up the theory and another character goes, nah, that's probably not true. And then like three chapters later, they're like, oh, wait, yeah, maybe that is true. I've just never experienced that exact chain of events before. You're used to Attack on Titan character brain, I believe it was, where as soon as someone brings up a theory, it is immediately 100% accurate. Yes, that is correct. (laughs) But as they have come to this conclusion together, uh, this then does segue into uh, some of their history together with uh, Tindwell asking about why uh, Sazed behaved the way he did with his his defiance of the rest of the the synod uh and and some of the things that we've heard about before uh, and it is clear that they they do have a, a deep history together says it just refuses to defend himself i mean not here i kind of we're, we're starting to tiptoe out of that but as a character trait prior to this mm-hmm. and i love <laughs> apologize that she calls him out for it <laughs> yeah she also says the writings of the man Quan tell us much. <laughs> they tell us so much. <laughs> Breeze can't help but soothing everyone around him. Tindwell can't help but trying to fix everyone around her. Mm-hmm. And she can't help but do it by bullying them, including yes. <laughs> bullying Sezed into standing up for himself, which is pretty much what she does with Ellen too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also really like... Um... Some of these things that that Tindwell and the other characters see in Sazed, uh, I think we also see in his like written character voice, 
uh, I think saves it has one of the um, the strongest like individual character voices that Brandon has written. Um, there are there are a couple of points later in the Cosmere reading where, for a whole bunch of unrelated reasons that I'm not going to get into right now, um, we there's a um, a piece of writing that someone is reading like in a very different context uh and it's very clear that it was written by Sazed just in the the words and the speech patterns and i really like that i will i forget if i've mentioned it but there is a really cool like whole linguistic dynamic of Sazed ends a lot of his sentences with with i think he sure does uh, comma i think um, but it's not just him. Tindwell has also done that several times. And I think it's really cool. Like, that's just a terrorist thing. That is a linguistic consistency that they all talk like that a little bit. Yeah. No, that the, the I think in particular is like the first time that we met Sazed in uh, Final Empire. And the first time he says that, I was kind of internally going, he said the thing. <laughs> There's also a really cool line in here that's, it's not cynical, but it's just a little bit edgy, and it's it's just just the right amount of edginess that I do really like it. Of um, Tyndall doesn't say like when all is said and done or when all of this is over. She specifically uses the phrase when all the bodies are counted, um, hmm. which yeah, just a, a nice little little edgy way to describe that that I thought was kind of neat. Because it's in the middle of her being like, you're a good man, Sazed. You did the right thing. When all the bodies are counted, it will show you did the right thing. I don't know. It's just a really cool detail. Yeah, maybe that's the the perspective of someone who has all of the world's histories of, of wars and whatnot. Hmm. When the last body has hit the floor. Oh, no. <laughs> and then Tindwell says she's off to consult with the other armies for some fucking reason. Yeah. I love that. I love that she's like, all right, got to give everyone a fair shot. Can you imagine what Tindwell and Straff would look like? Good That's Lord. the thing is like, she's she's saying like, yeah, I'm going to do it. But you know that Ellen's the only one who's actually going to listen. So it doesn't even yeah. matter all that much. I feel like if she were to go advise them because they're going to be like, shut up. I don't care. I, yeah. I already know exactly what I'm doing. And then she'll be like, all right, cool. I'm going to head out. <laughs> I mean, like, even of of the people gathered around this city, I think Jastes is maybe the only one who is, like, not yet experienced enough to maybe listen to her. But we've seen how Jastes is behaving, and he won't. Yeah. Well, I feel like it'll be uh, Jastes rejects her help, and then she starts to leave... And he thinks about it for like 30 seconds. And then he like gets on his knees. He's like, wait, no, come back, please. I'll listen, I promise. <laughs> she like drops some dope line about how good she fixed Ellen. And then he's like, oh, no. But then we get uh, when when she's talking about leaving, uh, we get a, a really touching scene where uh, it takes a very long time for Sazed to to get there himself uh and and it takes i i think it takes the two of them uh but sazed asks for her to stay and she says okay she says very well you have persuaded me which is just the cutest thing of like <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, you did that, Zayz. You're the reason. I, it's it's not because I am the one who wants to say you convinced me. Good job, buddy. <laughs> she convinced him to convince her. Pretty, pretty much, much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's also a very brief exchange where Sazed says, "I cannot be what you wish. I am not a man," which hasn't aged particularly well if he's mm. specifically referencing the fact that he is a eunuch like which he is yes there's yes like there's trans folks there's intersex folks that hasn't aged particularly well but i do like tindwell's response of god that's not what i no that's not what i want you know what my life has been like bro yeah. please yeah i just wrote in my notes is this courtship i'm confused it is a very unusual bit of courtship. Is this how flirting works? <laughs> but with uh, with the two of them having their moment together, I think we should uh, we should leave them be and have more moments together Aww. as we go somewhere else. That was a really cute transition. <laughs> I'm proud of it. <laughs> the camera pans away from the window and up the wall. You probably could if you really wanted to. I don't know how you would get from... Oh, no, we're in a new chapter now. Okay, I was going to say, how do we get from uh, Vin talking with Demo out on the streets back to Sazed and Tindwell? But that is the chapter break. So that's the, that's the actual cut. But yeah, we go on from there to uh, Elland on the walls of the city. Uh, and Ham coming to talk with him about uh, the kind of military matters and starting with the fact that uh, Ellen and his his bearing lately have had a good impression on the soldiers. But importantly, we finally get a description of what Ham wears beyond just vest. Oh, yeah? <laughs> we do. Uh, his usual vest, trousers, and sandals. It's Tito Makani from Rocket Power. From Nickelodeon animated show Rocket Power. Perfect. You sent me that as a, a preview of a point that you were going to make, and I was uh, I was very amused by it. But yeah, this is um, uh, not a whole lot in, in this one. We get uh, some time for, for Ham uh to philosophize a bit with Ellen about uh, the way that that Ellen has uh, learned to portray himself and the way that people react to that and all that, uh, and it's it's all, as usual interesting to get Ham's POV on this. Ellen also thinks to himself, "If I maintain my reign, I owe it to that woman." In reference to Tindwill, good boy, Ellen. Good on you for thinking that. Yeah, he is uh, giving some credit where it is due. And then immediately realizes she would chastise him for the very thought. Man, I feel for Ellen here, but I'm also mad at him. <laughs> I, that's a, the general mood, but what is it this yeah. time? <laughs> Here's the thing. Um, I've been in his exact shoes. I've had, like, I have a project that's due tomorrow at 8 a.m., like when class starts. I have not even started it. And you're so stressed out by it that you're unable to start it. And you're just, like, pacing the wall like this just for hours, not, you know, like, trying to distract yourself. 
from the fact that this very important thing is happening. But you need to write the paper, Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually he comes up with a gambit that works for a second. Kinda. Yeah, we conclude the chapter with, I've got an idea. It was yeah. It was actually way earlier, but the reveal that the vote is one day away. I was like, oh, "What do you mean? What do you mean it's one day, and you don't have a plan? What are you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> it is a little sad. I was I was so excited. I was like, "It's political intrigue time, boys. Let's do it!" And, and now the vote is here. <laughs> Let's finish that up. I think in his idealistic self, he was hoping to just like do the things that he's doing and convince people that way uh, but unfortunately that may not be sufficient I mean we've read the next chapter and we should just go to that chapter now that transition less effective but I'm proud of it too I stand by it our final epigraph of the section uh, is that Quan thinks that Alendi fits the signs of the prophecies too well Okay, I just need to... He is engraving this letter by letter. And he thought, yeah, the sentence, but, comma, well, comma, how can I explain this question mark? That's worthy of the two hours it'll take to really just make sure that that's carved into history. Time is short. <sighs> mm. Although it does make you... It kind of makes me think here. Like, if... If there was a real, like, correct hero of ages, mm -hmm. um, would they have been able to stave off Rashik? Mm. So if if we are, if we're working with Quan's theory that Alendi was not the hero, which does seem backed up by the fact that it, like, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, what what would that have looked like if Rashik had had tried to do his takeover you'd think the real hero of ages would would iced him but you know we'll never know because he died because that was a thousand years ago uh, yeah, yeah i guess i haven't really put in a ton of thought into the fact that you know kwan is writing all this on the assumption that alendi got to the well of ascension and got the powers which did not happen which didn't happen yeah and so oof Huh. All right. Now, yeah, I haven't really put a lot of thought to the, that specific, the, the way those dots are connected. I'll save some thoughts until theory section, but huh, yeah. <laughs> the final epigraph is, oh, they just came back. I guess he died. <laughs> that weird Rashek guy is here, huh? That's, why, why is he, well, I'll be right back. And that's just the end of the description. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they're back. I guess he died. Dot dot dot. New line. Never mind. I guess. Period. End of <laughs> end of epigraph. All right. So we now return to the assembly on the day of the vote, and it is uh, it's a chance once again uh, for uh, Vin and Ellen to uh, make an impression as they arrive, and uh, there is. Uh, there is a potential promise of a future dance between Vin and Ellen, but it is very much not the time for that right now. No cute moments for you. No, this chapter is not cute. 
No. Uh, Vin begins the chapter uh, even more on edge and paranoid than her her usual standard. Uh, coming into the room, getting ready for the meeting, she's convinced that something is going to go wrong. And hey, there's a time when her instincts are correct. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> uh, percent. There's also the um, the the first surprise, which is uh, Ellen should have known better than to surprise Vin with this. Like, just gonna say, yeah. But there was no time. The vote was tomorrow and is now today and i didn't have time to talk to you for five minutes about this bye hey, Vin, i've got an idea <laughs> it involves objectifying you again uh but it's gonna go great you just watch the one literal thing that she has been having the most problems with yeah it's gonna be awesome so yeah the uh the stage is set here i guess uh Ham is in the crowd with some guards, also ready in case anything happens. Uh, there's a, there's an, an invitation for the candidates to make one final address. Uh, Set is his his usual self. You know, I've I've made my offers and my threats. <laughs> and then Vin uh, notices someone who she saw very recently. Uh, one of the priests of the survivor because right before Ellen goes to give his uh his speech she figures it out which is that he has joined the church and is going to publicly state so yeah we were saying about separation of church and state i there's a there's a lot here i don't know how much I should get into now versus post discussion, but not okay. Not only is 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 it bad that Ellen didn't communicate any of this to Vin and is just like, yeah, this is gonna be fine. It's gonna be cool. I also just on a completely separate note from that, that is very bad. But we just got done saying we don't know if the Church of the Survivor has priests. We don't know if they have any kind of infrastructure. They seem to be very much, you know, it's mentioned Demo is essentially an apostle. This is very much like early Christian church where people were just meeting on the streets and in people's houses. There's not like an organization, it feels like. Right. So it feels really weird for Ellen to be like, I'm going to make a political deal to gain official membership in the church. And that's what's going to pull me over. I, I, it's just, I don't quite... The, the organization of the church doesn't feel like it has been constructed in such a way that would make that an effective political move. And that's what why I think this is a really kind of a wacky ploy. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it is interesting story-wise, especially given where Vin, the, the journey Vin and Ellen's relationship has gone on throughout the book and will continue to go on in the aftermath of this. But it does seem like it doesn't quite line up with the portrayal we saw earlier of them hanging out in a square and Demo telling some stories and Vin thinking to herself, it's not at all like the religion Sazed was preaching with their complicated structures and beliefs. It's just... Just optimism and a hope for survival 
Yeah, and then now it's like a faction, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the way that I read it, I think the first time, uh, was that it might not, it doesn't have the like the weight of an actual formal faction yet, uh, but that this is more of an emotional ploy with a potential for that sort of organization in the near future. But I, I agree that there is uh, a bit of a contradiction between what we've seen of the church just uh, two chapters ago and the way that Ellen seems to be trying to court their formal support here. Yeah, and it sucks because I do think if the church had been set up to be like an established faction with like it is an organized um, entity, I think this could be really cool. Um, there's a there's a Game of Thrones storyline that I didn't actually like very much, um, but Jonathan Price <laughs> was very good in it, um, so I enjoyed watching parts of it. Um, but yeah, the idea of like you are towards the top of the political power, but you are not completely secure, so you have to turn to a third party and make a deal with them and uh, use them to propel yourself forward. I think it's really cool, and I think having the church be that entity is really a really neat idea, except for the fact that, yeah, it doesn't really line up with how we've seen the church operate so far. And in the first chapter, when Vin mentions the Church of the Survivor, you see them in capital letters, I didn't even know if that was like, is that just what Vin calls people like this? Or is this like an actual established thing? It was it was unclear at that point. And the, yeah, the Demosi made it seem like, no, it's pretty grassroots at this point. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know if I quite buy it that this would be the key political move that Ellen is making it out to be. And to be fair, it doesn't end up working. So I guess maybe that was slightly intentional. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, we don't really have a lot of a lot to go on in terms of the political ramifications of this ploy, because immediately everything goes completely to hell. I will say, to draw a comparison to another big franchise, um, in Skyfall, the James Bond movie, there's a very good scene where M is giving a speech in front of like a, a trial, and it's cutting between her big speech and. James Bond is running after the bad guy who's running uh, towards his objective and the music is building and it's a very good um, scene of raising tension and I felt a very similar way about this of like you can picture Ellen giving this big big speech and all the meantime you just feel something's about to happen you see some people start to make movements but you're not sure if you should make a move yet um, I did think the gradual reveal that a fight was about to break out was pretty cool um yeah, that part was cool. I did like that the speech was still entirely off screen, Brandon. Sure was. <laughs> Brandon. <laughs> but yeah, the, the structure of this I really dig as well, of just this Vin POV ending with all of these questions of why why am I doing this? Why am I so on edge? Why is this happening? Why are those men moving around the edges of the room? And you're just your stomach just drops a little bit. Yeah. And then we get the fight itself. Uh, and it, it goes on for some time. This is a, a pretty significant Alamantic fight. There are uh, six Alamancers who are here uh, attacking Elland. And Vin has to try to fight them off without any collateral damage in this room full of people. Yeah. 
the fight does start in a very funny way of what ellen thought in shock fortunately months spent sparring with timbal's command had given him instincts he didn't know he had and his instincts are roll out of the way once and then let vin handle the rest of the fight and yes that is just <laughs> enough time for vin to fly out of the crowd land in the in the middle of this stage and start kicking ass months of sparring maybe if it had been over a year you might be just a little bit better ellen but nope not until tindwell shows up that you decide to start having any practice that's fine <laughs> all these lessons that he took for fighting um and they were all about how to do a dark souls roll <laughs> you got to do go. several of them in a row then just keep rolling and that's they right. won't hit you <laughs> Iframes, frames baby well, yeah, there's a we we now go into a, a good chunk here that is just Vin trying to fight six on one here. Uh, she's heavily restricted in uh, iron and steel because she's concerned about uh, hitting someone with a coin, or if one of the other elementers pushes a coin away after she shoots it. Uh, so it's a it's a very direct, very brutal fight. There's a point where she plays Dead Man's Volley with a sword. Like, they are just throwing mm -hmm. a sword back and forth. Yeah. She also... It's Ellen's sword. Yeah, it's Ellen's sword. And she just and steals she also it. <laughs> holds it for, like, a full quarter second. And that's where we get the cover. The picture for the cover, finally. She has a sword. <laughs> she has a sword. I don't think that's Ellen's sword on the cover. <laughs> I, know it's, I know it's definitely not. I'm just complaining about the fact we haven't gotten our big giant sword yet. We'll get there. <laughs> We will, we will. Will we? I don't know at this point. Is the Well of Ascension <laughs> even in this book? <laughs> I just want to see that sword sheath now. Like, <laughs> a sheath the size of a coffin. How do you if even... I don't know. If it's Berserk rules, there's no sheath. You just wear the whole thing on your back and then you put your cape over it and that's just the sheath. Perfect. I do like during this fight, we get a uh, a payoff to a much earlier scene, uh, a payoff that Vin doesn't realize is going to happen until the moment it does, uh, where she is, she's taking advantage of Duralumin, uh, which I think at this point is still pretty unknown. So this is a significant advantage for her, uh, but it does mean that every time she uses like Duralumin and Pewter, she's out of Pewter. Um, but uh, Orser, way back when, uh, had mentioned that uh, he could carry medals for her and did the horrifying body horror thing of just putting them in his shoulder. Uh, he's still got them, and they're here for Vin now. Yeah, that that completely got me of like, I knew Orser wouldn't be dead, but Orser gets knocked to the side, and I was like, ah, oh, no, he's going to be out of the fight. And then the moment where it describes, like, the flesh opening up, I was like, oh, shit, oh, shit, I forgot about that, yeah, yeah, yeah! I, I love that part. <laughs> yeah, buddy. And Vin says she needs to thank the dressmaker. Yes, as she should. She does not remember his name. She does not remember his name! It's Feldu! It's Feldu. <laughs> um, I do have in my notes, because this was a problem with the uh, Alamancer fight at the very beginning of the book with Seth's assassins. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote down... Brandon, I am begging you to keep track of how many thugs there are. But then it turns out a page later, no, it's Vin who can't count. It was intentional that Vin miscounted and that there was a thug she had forgotten about. And that thug ends up causing quite a bit of trouble. 
And I really like that about uh, the way that Brandon writes fights. Um, it's very chaotic. Mm -hmm. Like there's just a lot mm -hmm. of stuff happening and, you know, you can tell there's stuff that's happening that you can't really see, which is how it goes in a fight. You're, you're kind of snow blind. You, you see what's in front of you or what's coming at you right. and that's about it. So it's at the end that we learned that there were six people. Yeah, we get to the very end of this, and Vin seems to have actually saved Ellen and and cleared everyone out. Uh, but then, yeah, there's there's one more thug that at the beginning of the fight, uh, she broke his leg. But I mean, we've seen from what Vin has endured, that's not enough. This guy is going to keep going, uh, and he manages to grab her and start choking her out. Uh, and then we get one of the most gruesome scenes that Brandon has ever written, I think, yeah. where Duralum and Pewter means that she headbutts this guy and just explodes his head. Kaboom. We do <laughs> at least have a, uh, a replacement for the Lord Ruler's bitch slap of doom. We now have our headbutt of doom. We sure do. Head <laughs> headbutt of death is what I have in my notes. I have uh, Vin Burns, Pewter, and Duralumin, and headbutts the guy so hard his head fucking explodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in-universe, this is just as horrifying as the the last thing that Vin sees before she passes out is Elland being just absolutely distraught at what just happened. And the description of blood on the brilliant white uniform is just a perfect like oh, just excellent description yeah i also think it's it's interesting that as we we fade out on vin's pov uh th there's still work to do today that's not where the chapter ends yeah yeah this scene would be mm. really wild to me if i hadn't lived through january 6 in which congress flat out was like yeah <laughs> that just happened we still kind of got to do the vote thing, though. <laughs> yeah. By the way, as of the time of this recording, we currently do not have a Speaker of the House. Ha! It's true. So funny. It is objectively hilarious. But yeah, there is... There's still a vote to be held. Uh, and they... They move to somewhere else because the Assembly Hall is, is a war zone. Uh, and... Ellen tries to to talk it over with Ham a bit, and Ham first reassures him that Vin isn't actually hurt that bad, at least by her scale, and she'll be okay. Uh, but yeah, Ellen is is taking this pretty rough. But yeah, before we get to the end of the chapter, we do have a vote to be held, uh, and once everyone kind of puts things back together, uh, we see how that progresses the uh we we see uh some of the the vote as it goes down i don't know if we see all uh 24 of them uh, but there is a there is a twist here where uh Phelan and his gang of uh of merchants what a dick abandon their previous support for set and put their their votes behind penrod but the uh, the initial vote uh, falls with uh, 15 for Penrod, 
two for set and seven for Elland. Uh, which split vote. We mm-hmm. got it. Yeah, it we was deadlock. as Hooray. as Elland needed to uh, to retain his throne. He just needs to avoid a two thirds majority, which he did. And then Lord Habron asks if he can change the vote because uh, the, the the two votes for set, uh, Lord Habron uh, and they say who the other one was. I think they do on the on the, on the maybe on the yes, very last Lord page. Hugh. Hugh. Yes, Lord Hugh. Yes, Lord Habron and Lord Hugh, uh, having cast the two in the end least consequential votes, uh, would like to know if they can they can change. And uh, Penrod doesn't know. Uh, they they look around the room, and it appears that nobody really knows. Uh, we have the. Uh, that the weirdly happy obligator Norden here again, as one of the the scribes who worked very closely with Elland, uh, he knows and Ellen knows. Uh, the answer is yes, and if Ellen just doesn't say anything, then he probably retains the kingship. This is such. I'm, I'm upset with Ellen because of the Vin thing, obviously, but this is <laughs> such a fucking good way to end the political intrigue segments. Because it's yeah. right down, there's, it, it's, you know, you're invested in the vote itself and you've, it's been explained over and over. Like, Ellen knows the laws by the back of his hand. There's not any loopholes and he knows the law best. Um, so the fact that, like, everyone is turning to him to say, like, is that allowed? Um, is amazing. And it's just the right amount of getting your hands dirty because he doesn't even have to say no. He doesn't even have to lie. He can just say nothing and they'll probably be like, nah, probably not. I guess not. Um, and it just comes down to, will he betray his principles just a little bit to, to stay king? And I don't know if this is true for every edition. Um, for mine, it literally comes down to the page turn. Of it, yep, the, yep. the last paragraph is he could do his Norden, he could say nothing or could say that he didn't know. And then I also really had to use the bathroom at this point. So I, I, like, I put the book down at that sentence and while going to the bathroom, I had like a solid, uh, uh, like I was pacing around for a little bit, thinking about like, it could go either way. And we either get Ellen being really upset with himself for betraying his principles, but staying king, or we get him sticking true to his principles and not being king. And either one would be a fascinating way to take Ellen's character in the chapters to come. Um, so I just, it's just such a fantastic way to end this whole uh, sequence. Yeah, yeah, because he's finally really learned and internalized one of Tindwell's lessons, which is arrogance and fully having that sort of arrogant confidence in himself that he is the best choice for this. And we've seen him go over and over, like, Set and Straff, they will treat the people terribly, like, Penrod's kind of a wild card, but he, he won't treat the people like I will. You you very well could imagine a world where Ellen talks himself into I can betray my principles for the good of the kingdom. And e- either way, it's just so bittersweet. Exactly. I mean, I, like they've they've done Ellen's character so well exactly that I could see it going either way and I legit thought he was gonna he was gonna do it and he was gonna secure the kingship. Um and it is really funny that when you turn the page, it's it means the entire ten chapters have pretty much been for nothing. 
<laughs> I legitimately love that. I legitimately, because that's what political intrigue is, is sometimes the good guys don't win and all of their <laughs> planning and scheming, it doesn't work out. I, I, I really love that decision. Yeah, and that is that's how our part ends with the the two votes swapping to uh, to Lord Penrod, uh, with the vote being called seventeen to seven. Penrod accepts the kingship. Uh, Elland hands him the crown and leaves, and that's it. The end of part three. And next part, Elland will seek to become knives. <laughs> <laughs> The two genders, kings and knives. I'm done trying to be king. I'm going to be an assassin now. Honestly, kings and knives is a pretty good title for a book, too. Write that down. Write that down. I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. <laughs> TM. Yeah, wrapping up the, uh, the section, um, one more note from the annotations, which I actually have open now as we go through, which I should do more often. Um, Brandon points out that... Um, he feels like uh, when you have an idealist character in a book that their idealism should have a cost uh, and it can't always be in the end the actual best way to do it and and this is yeah this is where it wraps up is the the cost of the person that we know Ellen is is that he will not be the king there mm. so where do we go from here I almost, I, I, yeah, well, yes, part four knives. We will, we will get there. <laughs> Go um, to knives. <laughs> Knife city, baby. I, I'm doing a quick check. Uh, we have a couple more, like, names of um, councilmen. We have the assassins who show up, but I don't really think we have much to talk about for casting. Uh, unless there are recasts yeah. that anyone has in mind. I, I do not have any updates, I will say that. Oh yeah, I mean we didn't get any characters like described, right? I don't think. So. Uh, in which case, I think we can go right to talking about what's coming next, which at the end of a part is is an especially interesting place to do so. Oh yeah, uh, the the usual. I go first. Uh, sure. before that, actually, I have. Uh, oh. There were a couple things that um, I know we I mentioned that I wanted to bring up. Uh, that uh, I want to have an, an opinion from both of you. I think it might be covered in your predictions as well, but I want to call this out separately. Uh, we're now uh, through three out of six parts. Uh, we're through 38 out of uh, 60 chapters. Uh, we have not seen The Well of Ascension, uh, <laughs> and we have not seen vin holding a giant sword that's the size that she is where is our sword <laughs> that is in all caps in my notes <laughs> much more important than the well of ascension i mean they're both where on the is cover. vin's buster sword <laughs> but yeah that's my question is uh for both of you both the sword and the well do you think they're going to come up in this book at all and if so how long is it going to take us so with that, oh. I think Sam, you can uh, you can kick us off here. All right, I'll I'll cover those questions and I'll circle back mm -hmm. to my predictions. Um, I, I think it'd be weird if we don't see this sword. <laughs> it's on the cover. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what it is. There's no like clues as to what it even is yet. So something. 
but I, I think we'll see it before the end of the book. Um, and I think that with Ellen uh, being a, a, a an I- ignorant idealist here, <laughs> uh, uh, Vin now has time to take a step back and dig into this deepness stuff some more. Okay. And see that you know the epigraphs have laid out like the way to solve this is to go to the well. Okay, so go to the well. So now we're actually going to get uh, a a journey potentially by some of the characters that we've uh, had earlier. I believe your uh, you had down Vin Sazed and then joined by Marsh was a was a list that you had put down. Yeah, I think I'm comfortable sticking with that. Okay, maybe so spook. The, the the well we will see uh, in. A, a journey that uh, Vin is now going to be able to focus on the sword you think we'll see, but not sure when. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't know the, anything about the sword right now. We know it's not what the epigraph is carved in. Mm-hmm. The, the epigraph doesn't talk about the sword even. So it, it's, a, it's a sword. I don't know, but I think we'll see it. Okay. And now my actual predictions. Uh, Number one, uh, Demo ain't the Chandra. Uh, there is no, there is the opposite of a strategic benefit to keeping Ska motivated in the city. There is the opposite of a strategic uh, benefit to uh, talking up Vin. And no one important knew he was doing it in the first place. So I feel like if there was a Chandra and it was demo um the the, the contra demo would probably just stop doing it because no one knew he was doing it like what why is it important that i continue to ministrate about this stuff um so i don't think demo's the contra for half a second when you said demo ain't the contra i heard demo ate the contra and i was like holy shit power play reverse Uno how the turntables <laughs> Oh, I want to. This is one of those things where I want to do a, a on the count of three thing here, um, because I don't want to take points away from Caleb, and I feel like we probably came to the same conclusion, although maybe not. Um, so I'll I'll throw this out there. Uh, here, <laughs> we'll we'll give it a try. We'll take an experiment. Okay, it works out. Okay. We're doing it live, uh, Caleb. Yeah, we're doing it live, Caleb. On the count of three. Who sent the assassins? Ready? One, two, three, Penrod. Oh, Penrod might be a good guess. Like, well, the thing <laughs> okay. is, I'll get into my theory section, but like, Straff feels like the most obvious suspect. But then we have characters saying, Straff is the most obvious suspect, which makes me think it's not that. <laughs> um, I did not guess Penrod. That is, all, that is all on you. So continue as you were speaking. Okay. The fact that that Ellen and Ham agree that it was Straff means it wasn't Straff. Right, I know. That's like that's what's bothering me is I was reading as the fight was happening and I was like, oh, Straff definitely sent them because he knows Set is also going to be there, so this is the perfect opportunity to take out everybody at once. And then Ellen and Ham were like, do you think it's Straff? Yeah, it's definitely Straff. And I'm like, okay, well then it's probably not. (laughs) I I want to hear more of this this Penrod theory though. Is it just is it because he it also potentially stands to benefit greatly from 
what happens here? Well, I'll 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 run it down here. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll read what I wrote here. Um, I think it's pretty obvious ploy if he wants power. Um, people would think it's Straff. Uh, you know, Set got attacked too, so it would make sense. Straff doing it to he heard that Set is trying to whatever blah blah blah. Um, you'll note that in spite of his ministrations and efforts here, no one voted for Set in the end. Um, note also that the assassins didn't kill a single assembly member, but basically just herded them away from the fracas um, near the exits. You know, they're they're trying to get to the exit, they're trying to run away, but the assassins just kind of leave, keep them there, keep them from running away. Also, the fact that Penrod seemingly had a messenger at the ready to, hey, we're going to my house to do the vote. It's all very suspicious. It is interesting that despite the absolute chaos that happened here, the actual political proceedings didn't really get disrupted beyond the delay. Right. It's all very all very convenient for Penrod. Um I'll just say, like, this is what you do when you have killer instinct. You do what you need to do to get the results you want. Sometimes you need to think outside the books. You know, like before the section we were talk or not we but the book was talking about how Penrod might get five or six votes from the nobility, and the rest would go for set. Maybe a couple might go for Ellen, who knows? Um uh, Ellen didn't need to send a team of assassins to get, you know, the what would it be like nine votes that he needed here. Um, but if he did something with a firmer plan than I love God now, <laughs> it would have it would have kept him as king. All he needed to do was deadlock it, and he needed something more powerful, more potent um, than what he did. Um, and if I may, were I Ellen, here's what I'd do. Um, when the question comes up that votes can change, be silent for a couple beats, and then eventually people will be like, Ellen, do you know? And then in a nice quiet voice, it was you, wasn't it? Put him off guard, see how he reacts. He probably doesn't expect people to see through it, but I think I did. I don't know. Put the seed of suspicion in people's heads. Then say, yes, you can change your vote. And watch as people change their votes from Penrod to you. <laughs> then execute Penrod and be done with it. <laughs> in Ellen's defense, I don't know. he did just see his girlfriend explode someone's head about 10 minutes ago. I don't know if he was having all these strategic thoughts running through his head at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, he's, you know... He didn't even have time to get the blood off his uniform, but uh, you got to keep your head in a swivel. This is war. This is literally war. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway, the the remainder of my predictions. Um, after Penrod's picked, uh, Set's army is probably going to be looking to attack. Uh, you know, we we heard from Set when he first visited and they were talking about like keeping him there or executing him or not letting him leave or whatever he said his army has orders to attack if that happens and get strafed um so, <laughs> the, the verb get strafed uh, I like it. 
but here's the question. Who's he going to attack? Is he going to attack the city to take it because he thinks Straff is making a play? Or is he going to attack Straff as revenge for the perceived assassination attempt? And this is why Penrod, if this was Penrod, this is a genius play because it's going to, it's the effect of like Berserk. It's a Berserk potion on Straff. A rage potion, or not on Straff, on a set. It's a rage potion on set. It's going to make him just attack some, do something unpredictable with his giant army. Um, and he's either going to attack the city, and Straff's going to go, what the hell? I thought we had an agreement, and then attack set. Or he's going to attack Straff because he thought Straff sent the assassins. So, I don't know. Kind of makes sense for Penrod to want that. Um, so here's what I think. Uh, Set's going to attack Straff, like, soon, and cause mutually assured destruction. Um, I think that the Coloss, being as kind of vaguely tethered at best as they are right now, the Coloss are going to see that there's fighting. They're going to get excited. They're going to join in. It's going to be a big ol' massacre. Uh, and then when the dust settles, there's going to be... 5,000 to 10,000 Coloss still alive with both armies dead. Um, at that point, I think all that comes next is haggling with Jastes. And I don't think Penrod respects Jastes enough as a person to surrender to him. So, <laughs> <laughs> just, just speaking frankly, I don't know. Yeah, you have Coloss, <laughs> but, but you also couldn't you, you, you couldn't keep Sazed as a, as a servant. Right. So, <laughs> Sazed said, I'm going to go now. And he said, yeah, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Never mind. Uh, but that's my that's my galaxy brain here. Um, I can't tell if you're intrigued, interested in knowing what my theory was, or I'm so far off base that it's insane. But I'm sure you guys typed in your Discord. I can't <laughs> root for a prediction to be correct but I want that to be correct. Either, like, the two possibilities are you are correct, and I want to see what it's like to realize, like, how much of that was a called shot, or you're completely off, but that's a cool story, and I want to read that story too. Yeah. I just thought it'd be a fun way to do it. It's what I would do, and I'm starting to think like Brandon. You know, like with me calling out Jasties. I was going to say, to be fair, looking back at Final Empire and looking back at uh, the Jasties called, it seems like uh, the first category you described can often be called Sam theories, and the second category can often be called Caleb theories. I mean, in like the, the last two or three episodes, you both had a couple of significant hits. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, it's possible. All right. Yeah, so we will see. Um, I feel like we should see some uh, some fallout of the attack start pretty soon once the pieces start getting put together, if there's any evidence of, of who was behind it. Uh, so perhaps we will see uh, in the section coming up if we can see the beginning of any of these uh, these moves here. Uh, and I think that will then take us over to uh, Caleb for what you have uh, on our our questions and then also just in general. 
I am a mess today. I've got a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. Um, <laughs> number one question. Where's our sword? Where's the sword, um, Brandon? Where's the sword, though? I where's do, my boy? I, where's our boy? I do trust that the sword will exist. Because as I mentioned in our Discord, I believe, um, it's not just on this cover. There's a separate like, new edition of Well of Ascension that I think came out fairly recently. And then also has a sword on that cover, even though the picture is completely different. So there's got to be a sword, right? But I'm also with Sam that it's weird that Vin wielding a sword hasn't even been hinted at yet. There's no prophecy about a sword. It doesn't fit with her fighting style at all. And it feels like it would take her a long time to learn how to use a sword that big. So it's just strange that there has not been any hint of a sword yet. Um, but I do think we will see it. I'm wondering if it will end up being more of a plot device than a combat item. But I do hope she uses it as an actual sword at some point. Um, what was the other question? Well of Ascension. I think that, yes, we will. Now that the political intrigue is over, um, Vin will start heading uh, towards the Well of Ascension by focusing on the uh, myth. But I have a much sadder... Uh, much more depressing prediction as to who she'll be going with. Um, because now that we've seen uh, a lot of relationship drama, Vin is feeling betrayed by Ellen and also is like, the last he saw of me was brutally murdering someone. He'll never love me again. I do think that she will likely be going to the Well of Ascension with none other than our good old pal Zane, who has been uh -oh. talking quite a bit about how... Ellen doesn't understand you. He'll only use you. But I get you. We should run off together. Yeah, it looks like they might. Um, I think they're likely going to... Again, we don't... We're over halfway through the book. We don't have a lot of time to make this a travel movie. Um, so I think there might be some pewter dragging involved. But the good news on that angle is... I think Zane and Vin are going to go off on their own. But... Sezed might be able to catch up. And also, Tindwill might be able to catch up. Mm -hmm. um, so I am hope I imagine those two will go off on their own for a while and have their, their emo time and Zane will monologue for longer. Um, but I have hope that eventually <laughs> Sezed and Tindwill will um, get to that storyline soon. And then also maybe Marsh will be there because I feel like Marsh went to go track down the Inquisitors. And where do the Inquisitors go? Going back all the way to, I think, my chapter one guess. And the Inquisitors are also headed to the Well of Ascension. Um, so I think there's going to be a bit of a meetup towards the, the well. Um, but yeah, I think that'll probably be pretty late in the book because once more, we really haven't made any progress in going towards the well yet. So gotta gotta fit that in there at some point. But that's what I'm thinking there. Um, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot here. Um <laughs> Okay, in terms of who sent the assassins, it could be Straff, and it could be that Brand is not trying to make this a mystery, and that it actually is the most obvious option, and that that does fit all of the suspects. Um, some other thoughts I had is, uh, just now, I thought, there's a chance it's Jastes, because obviously his main force is the Coloss, but he has some soldiers to himself, and he's you know a noble he's probably friends with other nobles he might have some mistings under his employ and he also has no idea about the political situation he has no idea that 
if Set dies, the army will attack. Like, he doesn't know any of the political uh, uh, details going on. He might have just said, all right, get in there and kill the king. And that's yeah, where go, he left it. Go kill Elland. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's a possibility. And then my other possibility is we might, there's a chance, we might have just fought and defeated Zane's good old suicide squad. This could possibly have been a Zane move. Um, just trying to shake things up and also trying to, you know, kill Elend. Um, it's, I feel like it doesn't quite make sense for Straff to want to kill Elend right now. Because last we saw Straff, he was freaking out about the fact that if I kill Elend, Vin will come kill me. I don't like that. Um, but we know someone who does definitely want Elend dead, and that would be Zane. Um, so there's a chance that's that that this is a Zane plan. This is not a theory, but I do kind of hate that Zane gave his whole speech of like, soon he'll show his true colors, and he'll you'll you'll see what he's really like. And I thought that was setting up Zane to force Ellen's hand in some way, but it turns out that in this one case, Zane was just correct, and Ellen really did do something kind of messed up that betrayed Vin's trust. I don't like that. I don't like Zane just being right. Uh, doesn't, doesn't feel good. <laughs> doesn't feel good. Um, but um, yeah, so I'm wondering if that's where that's headed. And now that Zane, you know, if he did send the Suicide Squad, then he has the double header of Ellen betrayed you. And also Ellen hates you now because of how you killed those guys that I definitely don't know and have never seen before in my life. Um, so I think there's a <laughs> chance that that was Zane's Suicide Squad. There is one key detail. <laughs> those guys that I've never seen before in my life, but I bet they had like families and whatnot that Ellen's yeah. super sad about. Yeah, yeah, he'd be really upset about that guy whose head you blew up. Speaking of the guy whose head been blew up, Justin, there was one <laughs> detail of your recap that uh, was not mentioned, uh -huh. um, which is right before Vin explodes the guy's head, she has the thought, where have I seen this guy before? She does think he's familiar somehow. And frustratingly, I have no idea who that could possibly be. I have no guesses right. in that regard. Um, I re like I noted that, and I was like, "Oh, it's going to be t a detail that we leave alone for a while." But then when we come back to it, it's going to be a big reveal. And then I was thinking, I was like, "But I have no goddamn idea what that reveal is going to be." <laughs> um, I'm going to put down. Vin noted that guy for dot 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 some reason. Yes. Um, uh, I think that makes it less likely that it's Jasty's probably because I don't know why Vin would recognize someone from Jasty's camp that uh, Ellen wouldn't recognize. Like it, it seems important that Vin specifically recognize this person. And I feel like that makes it make less sense if this is a part of the Jasty's crew, if it's someone she recognized from back in the book club days. Um I think there's a chance it might be like someone she saw in Straff's camp, which would narrow down her suspects once more to either Straff or Zane. Um, but aside from that, I don't know who it could be that Vin would recognize. Like part of me was thinking, you know, if it's someone Vin recognizes that Ellen doesn't recognize, then it could be um, someone she knew from her ska days before she met Kelsier or someone that the crew knew that Ellen didn't really know. But I don't know specifically who any of those people would be unless, like, the Church of the Survivor is 
trying to kill Ellen, but that doesn't make any sense at all. So I don't think it's that. I'm just <laughs> like I'm I'm throwing out ideas and and they don't seem to fit. Um, Wait, so but it, if it's Jasty's, if it's someone from the book club days, could it be? It could be fourth voice. Is it possible? Fourth voice. This is fourth voice. It could finally be fourth voice. He's dead. He's gone before he even knew his name <laughs> had exploded. What a way to go. Um, so, yeah, if I have to put money down, I'm going to say it's Zane Suicide Squad, but I don't know where Vin would have seen that guy before, if that's the case. So th- that's my guess. I don't feel super confident in it, but that's that's what I'm sticking with. Um, and then I have a few more uh, wildcard uh, thoughts. Um Theory one, Penrod is dead rod. I think Penrod is going to die in the somewhat near future, not immediately. Um, but I think that's ultimately going to be how Ellen takes back control. Ellen's not going to be the one to kill him. None of his friends are going to be the one to kill him. But um, I think there's going to be kind of a yet-in situation of Penrod is like, I'm a politician. I know what I'm doing. I know how to handle these people. And he's going to go to negotiate with someone and then they're just going to send his head back. Like, it's going to be something mm. in that regard. Um, I could see that happening with Set. I really want it to be the head. I don't know why, but I have the image of the head specifically. And I don't think Straff would send the head back. So I don't think it'll be Straff. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of... Um, uh, I, regardless of who does it, um, I think Penrod is going to think he can politic his way out of this and it's going to go very poorly, and he will end up dead. Um, so those are my thoughts there. I no longer have any idea. I, I like. I think it's either Demo or uh, Doxin. The Chandra is. It's really gone back and forth of people being very confident. It's one or the other, and it's making <laughs> it way more difficult to tell who it actually could be. Uh, once more, I think it's emotionally more compelling if it's Doxin. Um, but... Brandon's really laying it on thick at this point of it definitely could be Doxin. Don't forget that it could be Doxin, and that makes it feel like it's not him. Who's left? It, I, I don't know. We finally checked off clubs, I guess. So I don't know. I'm, there's still a slight option that um, uh, Orasaur still has not said some detail, and actually the people she checked off the list might not be fully checked off. I don't. I think Orisor would have spoken up by now, so I don't think it's quite that. But there's a chance of that. Um, and with that in mind, it feels like it has to be one of the two, um, unless it's like I don't know. Maybe someone's. We haven't gotten any other descriptions of any other animals. I was thinking like someone else is pulling an Orisor strategy, and it's some. It could be even be an animal, but someone we've never thought to think about before. Um, but we haven't gotten any descriptions of anything like that, so I don't think it's that. Um, I think there's a chance it could be Demo because it is true that none of the main crew would realize that Demo stopped going to church, but the church sure would. And they might start being like, hey, have you seen Demo recently? What's up with that? So I think it, it does not, just because Demo is still uh, going to and, and to his meetings, I don't think it checks him off the list necessarily because Contra are very... Uh, thorough and very sure that mm-hmm. they do every single thing that the target does so um i don't think i'll text them off the list necessarily regardless of who it is at this point now that we have two solid suspects i just want there to be that classic scene of i don't know which one to shoot where 
We spot Dachshin and Demo in the same room, and everyone knows it's one of the two of them, but they don't know which one it is, and they're both trying to convince them, no, Mr. Krabs, I'm the real... Or wait, no, it's Sponge Mr. Krabs and the robot <laughs> talking to SpongeBob. No, I'm the real one. Um, uh, I do want that scene in here, because those are always really tense, um, including the SpongeBob one. I stand by that. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, I do want I do want that uh, that scene to happen. Um, just a couple more questions. Again, no big theories. What's Albion's actual deal? What? Why? Why is she actually here? Is she really just in love with Breeze? Is that really as simple as it is? If that's the case, why did she show up in the kitchen late at night, eavesdropping on everything? Why has she not interacted with Set at all when Set has been in the city for two weeks? Why was she not involved in any of the Set-related conversations up until now? What what's going on with Alrian? I'm just I'm so curious at this point. Did Brandon really just write a character who is as simple as she's the dumb blonde, and the only complexity is she also uses Alamancy to get what she wants a little bit, or is there something else happening? I don't know. I'm curious to find out. Um, we needed and... more female characters. This is Fesmanism. We got it. We Fesmanized the whole series. It's done. <laughs> now, we got Tindwell and Alrien, so actually we're good for the third book. We don't need any new female characters. We're good. Yeah, <laughs> We've hit our woman quota. Exactly. Um, and then my last question is, did Quan and Rashek reconnect? Is there any reason Rashek would want Quan dead? If Rashek knows... That Quan thinks Alendi is not actually the Lord Ruler. Would Rashek keep Quan around, maybe? Um, begs the question, which I think I was did, I did bring up fairly early on. Why did they keep this text around? Why didn't the Inquisitors just destroy it if it has so much information that they might not want people knowing? And maybe the reason is, if anyone finds out that Rashek wasn't Alendi... Here's proof that Elendi wasn't meant to be the Hero of Ages, and actually it was meant to be the Lord Ruler all along. Um, so it's just, it's it's so curious to me why they chose to keep this around, and how exactly would Quan react to a world where Elendi is dead and was not the Hero of Ages and didn't get the powers in the first place, um, and how Rashek would treat that. Um, I don't think like the the thought passed through my mind and probably won't happen but it would be interesting if um much like Rashek using Alamancy and Farukami loopholes to stay alive could be interesting if Quan is also still alive somewhere but I don't think they would have both characters uh who are directly involved with the past era use the exact same trick and I also don't think Quan is an Alamancer that doesn't make sense to me um, because again, I do think the Well of Ascension probably gave people Alamancy powers. I'm sticking with that theory. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I just think it'd be really interesting to see what happens. I am really hoping at this point, um, that, uh, the third book epigraphs are Rorschach, uh, diary. Um, that, that's my hope. I think that's... It's the one that makes the most sense. It's the perspective we haven't really gotten directly. Um, and I think it could add a lot of really interesting um, complexity to uh, a situation that we already know has a lot more going on than we suspected. Um, so, yeah, I'm just curious what a Rashek and Quan conversation would be like post um, 
deepness defeat mint. So I'm curious if we'll ever get something like that. Um, that was a lot. That was a lot of rambling and not a lot of concrete theories. Sorry, I'm done. <laughs> we had to cut it short last week. We had a, a backlog. We had to yeah, to sure did plow through. It's true. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think the the end of parts in particular do kind of generate these uh, yeah. these sort of questions and looking ahead to where part four and part five are going to end i think there will be more like okay we got some answers there but what happens now so we're we're definitely gonna have to come back to this uh looking ahead to our next part uh part four knives uh this is this is going to be a bit of a push for us, but the way that I have this set up is we're going to do only two episodes uh, for this whole part, and they're going to be on the bigger side, uh, but not, I think, not larger than we've done before. Uh, so the uh, they will each be five chapters, uh, chapter 39 through 43 for our next part, uh, and then episode 11 will be 44 through 48. Yeah, I think uh, unless there's anything that I missed, we can go ahead and do our wrap-up here and then either go to bed or start reading more. <laughs> Yay. Those are the only two options. Actually, there's a third option for me, which is uh, edit the episode that comes out tomorrow. We'll get there. There is a, there is a fourth option for me, which is uh, get dinner. But Oh, that's that important. <laughs> and and a, a lucrative fifth option for me, go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right, all right, we got all we got all sorts of stuff to do. Let's uh, <laughs> we are booked for the evening. <laughs> let's let's finish this up then. Uh, you can okay. find this episode and all the episodes that we release on alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, you can also email us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. That's a, a lot of fun for us to get do. to. Yeah, no, super fun for us to look at those uh, on the social medias. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at always another pod, uh, where we have uh, some recent New Year posts to uh, to ring in the New Year with our our characters, uh, and also on Twitter at always another pod. Uh, until that catches on fire again, we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, without further ado, we can uh, do the thing, which is wrap up this episode and then be back for the next one dark souls roll 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 you've discovered a tongue twister did you discover a new tongue twister dark souls roll dark souls roll dark souls roll dark dark try it at home listener where's our sword brandon brandon's a listener secrets